0: Consensio supports clients to informally and collaboratively resolve workplace conflict and build stronger relationships at work. This increases the resilience of organizations and enhances the well-being and performance of their people. Consensio provides training, coaching, consultancy, leadership development, and mediation services to clients such as the BBC, American Express, Bupa, UNICEF, and the NHS. This is Engage
1: Governance, the podcast series from the Chartered Governance Institute, UK and Ireland. Today I'm speaking to Alex Fdmiardis, an Organisational Conflict Resolution Specialist who is the director and founder of Consencio. We're going to be talking about conflict in the workplace and how it can affect an organisation. It's great to be speaking to you today, Alex. Perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about your background and what your work as an Organisational Conflict Resolution Specialist involves.
0: Great, absolutely. And nice to be speaking with you, Rachel. Mm -hmm. So um, my background is in organizational psychology. My business partner, Anna Shields, and I set up Consensio 15 years ago, and we work either as uh, workplace mediators or conflict coaches or trainers to equip people to manage conflict better, because conflict um, is so costly, both in terms of financial costs and human costs to Mm organisations. And we want to minimise that. Absolutely. And, And so you talked a little bit about the different
1: types of support that you offer, could you tell us a little bit more about the conflict support that you offer?
0: Yes. So um, we usually get called in because there's been some kind of relationship breakdown within an organization Mm -hmm. at board level, at at really any level within an organization, very senior to very junior members of staff have in some way um, fallen out. So when we get called in um, as workplace mediation specialists, we are there as impartial. Um, experts who are trying to facilitate a conversation between two or more people who are no longer able to speak with each other. Mm -hmm. Our hope is that an organization will call us before any kind of formal process has been instigated. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't always happen. Sometimes we we get called in post grievance Mm -hmm. um, or post disciplinary, but obviously the earlier you catch conflict, the better we also work as conflict coaches so this is a one-to-one intervention with people who are um, having a really challenging time dealing with some kind of conflict at work Mm -hmm. that might be a communication or a relationship breakdown and they Mm -hmm. need some guidance and some support as to how can they better speak to the person or, or deal with a person that they're having a conflict with or the people. We also offer a lot of training. So um, we are part of many organizations' management development training courses or training programs. Mm-hmm. We cover all areas relating to informal and collaborative conflict resolution. So um, <clears throat> for example, um, trying to um, equip managers to deal with conflict um, within their teams so Mm -hmm. that they don't need to involve HR or it doesn't need to get to the board because issues are being dealt with. Um, At that local level, Mm -hmm. um, informally and quickly, those conflict conversations um, are happening. They are normalized. They're part of a manager's toolkit and part of their management responsibility as well.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, because I think um, sometimes it's those kinds of skills that can really help a manager to um, be
0: effective in their role. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and I think, Rachel, what happens in terms of managers, they want to be good at their jobs. Mm. You know, they want to be effective in their roles. But I think a lot of organizations have a real block blind spot, when it comes to training their managers. And if if there are management development programs, and obviously not every organization will have them. But often, even if they have them, they don't cover things like how to have a difficult conversation, how to give difficult feedback, and upskill managers on having um, those really challenging conflict conversations, that if not addressed uh, will fester and grow into something that can cause huge also reputational damage Mm. to an organization
1: yeah absolutely how would you define conflict perhaps so that managers and people in those situations can recognize that that's what's happening and and seek help
0: yeah So I guess conflict um, can arise whenever people have different values, needs, Mm. opinions or interests. So it can be something very small, such as one employee wants to take um, leave when another employee wants to take leave, and suddenly it becomes this big issue around mm-hmm. who who gets the priority around that, and it can be a huge headache for a, a manager. But it can also be an email that was sent in haste that was um, perhaps not written very delicately, and it lands on the person as something um, rude or or mm-hmm. under. Can be someone feeling continuously undervalued and disrespected by perhaps someone um, who manages them, and then they might start reading bullying behaviors into those interactions. Um, we deal with a lot of bullying allegations, for example, mm. or allegations of any kind of harassment or discrimination. So it can be the, the, the small things to the big things. And mm. often it gets to the big things because it wasn't addressed when it was still a small thing. And I think that what's so powerful about what we do is we actually don't think conflict is a bad thing. Mm. We think that conflict can be a really powerful force for um, greater understanding between people, for um, better understanding about ourselves and what it is that we really need. It can open lines of communication and understanding and build stronger relationships mm. and across the organization and lead to innovation and growth and creative problem solving conflict Mm -hmm. is inevitable it's normal it Mm -hmm. happens in all relationships and when we are able to have those uncomfortable because they're not comfortable conversations but uncomfortable conversations that's where the growth happens that's where the change Mm -hmm. and the innovation happens and that's what moves us forward in a really healthy way
1: So if we're finding that we're not able to have those difficult conversations and address conflict, how can conflict affect an
0: organisation? It then becomes incredibly destructive. Firstly, um, and there's quite a lot of research on this, organisations spend um, millions of pounds each year dealing with workplace conflict when it's become destructive. And that's Mm. through, for example, employment tribunals or, or legal assistance, et cetera. Obviously also there's a reputational damage to the organization that I mentioned before. Often we get called in um, out of desperation because mm-hmm. people don't know where to go anymore. But I think again, it's really about looking at what are we doing right now Um, to help people throughout the organization have these conversations so that in three years down the line, we don't find ourselves in a position where we're spending hundreds of thousands of pounds um, dealing with issues that could have been addressed very well and very easily through, for example, training and skills building, And once you have the skills, you then have the confidence to have these conversations. In terms of the costs, obviously there's the employment tribunal costs, the legal costs, Mm -hmm. et cetera, the reputational damage to the organization. But there are other costs as well, and some of them aren't so obvious. There's Mm -hmm. the impact on the team when there's conflict because it, it impacts obviously more than just the people involved. It's the sickness absence, it's the stress levels, it's yeah. the people who resign from the organizations because mm. they're leaving a conflict that isn't being managed. Mm. Um, and then it's the, the personal cost to people um, in terms of their well being, their mental health. Mm. So many of our clients say to us, I can't sleep anymore, um, I'm, I'm carrying this home with me every day. Mm um it's it's having such a negative impact on my well-being and my mental health i feel depressed i feel anxious all the time and that's because of something that isn't being resolved at work
1: Hmm. that certainly sounds like conflict can be very powerful um why is it that it can become so destructive
0: we should be taught um, from a very young age to have difficult conversations Mm -hmm. with other people, even if they're uncomfortable, and we're not. So from a very young age, as children, we see how our parents, our families are modeling conflict behaviors. Mm -hmm. And those are often not very positive. Mm -hmm. And then at school, we're also taught not to speak back um, to teachers, um, not to fight in the playground and I actually think that we're teaching kids the wrong message and then it becomes punitive so if someone misbehaves at school for example we don't try to find out why is that child misbehaving but we punish them Mm. we we give them time out etc and obviously um a lot of parents do that as well so from an early age we're not learning the skills and actually the skills that we should be teaching our kids and that we should be teaching um, our employees and our leaders at work are. How do you have those uncomfortable conversations? Um, um, ha- what are the benefits of not avoiding these conversations? Mm-hmm. Because so many organizations have an avoidance culture of conflict. Mm-hmm. And so it, it starts early on, but then it's perpetuated in the workplace. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is really that people don't feel they have the skills. Um, They don't have the confidence. Very often, leaders are promoted based on their technical ability and not Mm -hmm. necessarily their people skills. Obviously, there are amazing managers and leaders out there, Mm -hmm. but I think that often we're expecting a lot um, from people who haven't been properly um, equipped to deal with those difficult conversations
1: yes it's true because those kind of interpersonal um relationships are a skill set in themselves um absolutely separate from your technical ability in your particular fields yeah and and speaking of interpersonal conflict what can those kinds of conflicts What sort
0: of risks can they pose to organisations? The reputation of the organisation can be damaged and we see that with some of our clients. So it does pose a business risk. People leaving, so some of our Um, Clients have very high turnover, for example, um, and obviously the impact um, on that, on cost, on on stress levels as well. The higher up within an organization you go. um, So, for example, at board level, you want people to be able um, to have these difficult conversations because they will drive business success um those conflict conversations are actually important for business success and if people aren't able to speak about difficult issues if people aren't able to question and challenge each other respectfully um high up in the organization that will stifle innovation and growth Mm -hmm. i think um the skills you need to have conflict conversations are the same skills you need to have just good conversations at work.
1: We've talked a little bit about how conflict affects
0: workplace relationships. Does it also affect the ability to collaborate? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's really important. You want people in organizations to collaborate with each other. Mm. Um, However, there's some really great research from Dr. Peter Coleman at Columbia University. So he studies high functioning teams And he says that yes, high functioning teams need collaboration and cooperation. That's really important. And that's partly why they're high functioning, but they also need a degree of conflict Mm. because if you only have collaboration and um, cooperation, but no conflict, it leads to groupthink. Mm -hmm. and inertia and sub-optimization those are the terms he uses and this is so true and we see it in our work as well so actually you want people to disagree with each other you want people to challenge you want people to feel they have a voice and that's across the organization and so um, it's that balance between having collaboration and, and, and cooperation, but also allowing people um, to to have difficult conversations with each other, not to repress those, not to avoid those. And that's how you create a, a high functioning team
1: i think that's really interesting because i think our audience perhaps will be familiar with ideas of groupthink and yeah. um constructive yeah. collaboration and constructive challenge so groupthink we would try to avoid in the boardroom um amongst directors um precisely because like you said people should feel comfortable to challenge um yeah. each other so that you get the best possible decision making yeah. Um so that's certainly something that I think our audience will be familiar with.
0: Um so going back to um what um Peter Coleman and Columbia University mm. says, and what we're seeing in our work as well, you need to create an environment where healthy conflict can flourish. Mm. And I think that um, most of us don't know how to do that. So looking at board level, for example, and and tying it into um, the research and also from a practitioner's perspective, what we see is that, for example, um, there needs to be psychological safety. And so what does that mean? And um, it's a a term coined by um, Harvard Business School Professor Amy Edmondson. Mm -hmm. And psychological safety is a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. Mm -hmm. If you look at a board, for example, you can think about, does the board have a culture where people are actually able to speak up. Mm -hmm. Um, Are people really speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns or mistakes? Or is that looked down upon Mm. and same in in, in other teams? So I think we really need to think about are we creating that environment of psychological safety where voice and challenge are um, not just allowed, but actively encouraged? Mm Um, So that is one way. And then also you can model or or create psychological safety by acknowledging your own fallibility, for example. So so as a board member, for example, you might say, look, I may miss something that I need to hear from you. Mm. Or um, if if you don't agree with me, please tell me. Um, And so those kinds of things are really important. Um, And also one needs to be... Um, aware of what is my conflict mindset? Um, do I actually see conflict and disagreement as something potentially healthy, or do I see it as really negative and threatening? And so mm. I don't want to deal with any difficult conversations because mm. they just make me really uncomfortable, and I don't want to feel uncomfortable at work or anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if that's something that is quite common because of what you said about us not having been given the skills to um address conflict. We probably do feel quite uncomfortable with the yeah. idea of it. Yeah. Um do you think that and some of the things that we've talked about, do you think they might be reasons why organizations aren't dealing with workplace conflict more strategically, or are there other reasons as well?
0: I think that is one of the big reasons, Mm. and I think that it does need to be looked at strategically. Mm. Um, And I think that um, in busy organizations with so much time pressure and and, and other pressures, bottom line, et cetera, we forget to think about the human relationships Mm. and how those relationships are actually um inhibiting or driving performance inhibiting or driving people's well-being etc so the human element i think needs to be looked at more carefully and i also think we need to be more strategic about these conversations and we also need to be more proactive i think Mm -hmm. a lot of organizations are still dealing with conflict reactively so they wait until someone um writes a letter to the board to complain about someone else or or Mm. someone's behavior as opposed to looking at do our policies reflect how we want people to be with each other Um, and does our culture reflect that actually we do want people to challenge each other respectfully
1: and so do you think that conflict should be on the board agenda because of the risks that
0: it can pose to an organization Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's been really heartening to see that um, some of our clients are really um, taking this seriously because they see the damage that unresolved conflict can pose. And Mm -hmm. so it is something that's being taken seriously by the board as well. And, Mm -hmm. And really looking at how can we change things? So that conflict, which can be something so positive, um, can be experienced in a constructive way in our organization. How can we make sure that happens?
1: And which kinds of board positions do you find tend to take ownership for that particular discussion? Is
0: it HR? Very often it's HR. -hmm. So I would say the first people who usually hear about a conflict are um, the managers. Mm -hmm. Um, But often Mm -hmm. when managers don't know what to do, um, they feel Mm -hmm. more comfortable Mm -hmm. simply handing the case over to HR. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. HR have a really valuable role to play at board level as well Mm -hmm. of um, bringing the knowledge about this and strategic vision um, at at board level, and to really work with other board members to 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 make this happen. If there was a board
1: that didn't have HR actually sitting at the boardroom table, mm-hmm. um, perhaps our audience of um, company secretaries who would be at the boardroom meetings, perhaps they could act as a go-between. Do you think between absolutely. the HR department?
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and we've seen that happen successfully mm. as well. Yep. Okay, interesting. Um,
1: And thinking about conflict in the boardroom specifically, um, how do you think our audience of governance professionals and company secretaries um, could work with the board chair to resolve any conflict that's happening between board members themselves?
0: Yep. Um, So I would say, and I know um, I'm thinking of one board in particular we've recently worked with. Mm. I think what's important is to realise that you don't have to solve someone else's problem. Mm. So you see you're sitting on the board, you see that two or more um, of your colleague board members aren't um, agreeing on things, aren't being collaborative with each other, etc. Stalling decisions. It's actually about meeting with them individually Mm -hmm. and finding Mm -hmm. out what is going on, what is underneath Uh, the conflict. Um, And so just to give some examples, um, Rachel, from our Mm. work and from um, this board in particular, it was things like board members didn't trust each other. Mm. Um, They didn't feel that um, their input was being valued. Mm. Um, They didn't feel that um, they were respected by others on the board. Um, There was a lack of psychological safety Mm. um, and, and... Trust had broken down. So, mm. in a sense, you resolve that by addressing those issues. So, why has the trust broken down? Um, why are they not feeling respected? Why do they feel their opinions are not being valued, etc.? Mm. So in a sense, you go backwards, you try to find out what's going on and maybe you need to bring in a mediator or someone impartial to, to, to facilitate a conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think um, the focus needs to be on facilitating a dialogue. So not going straight to let's resolve this or or telling people you just need to work together for the sake Mm. of the board, but actually trying to find out what's going on here, because this lack of trust, if not addressed, will carry on and will become more of a hindrance um, as time progresses.
1: Absolutely. In the current climate, with the current economic uncertainty, mm. there's a lot of pressure on organizations to cut costs. So, absolutely. Why do you think informal conflict resolution should be a priority and and how can organizations make a business case for this?
0: I really believe that informal and collaborative conflict resolution needs to be a priority regardless of the economic environment. I think there's a really strong business case to say that actually right now with a cost of living crisis in the UK, for example, and on a more um, global level with um, Um, so much uncertainty, continuing uncertainty, et cetera, companies having to cut costs, that this is a really important moment for us to invest in our people. This is a really Mm. important moment for us to think about. If we look at the costs in terms of um, legal fees we're spending because of Mm. unresolved conflict, um, employment tribunals, um, reputational damage, we can't afford this. Um, it's never something you want to be able to afford anyway, but it's even more crucial in a downturn. Mm. You have a lot of good reasons to say, I can make a business case for this. You you might have to invest now to Mm. make sure your board, for example, have the right tools to communicate with each other constructively to learn how to shift their conflict mindset and embrace those conversations, etc. Or um, you might have to invest in a management development program for your managers and leaders, but actually the the financial investment you're making now is going to um, lead to huge savings in the future.
1: Yes. And I think we also have a better understanding of the benefits of employee well-being um, coming out yes. of the pandemic um, when we came to understand how important um, our employees are to the success of the business. You mentioned earlier about workplace conflict being also a good thing. Yeah. Um Could you tell us a
0: little bit more about um, how and why that could be the case? When we start working with clients, um, we do this exploratory work with them around how do you view conflict? um, What is your conflict mindset? Because people often don't understand that they Mm. already have um, a very strong um, concept of conflict being negative. They'll say things like, well, it makes me feel anxious and angry and and um defensive and misunderstood and frustrated and stressed Mm -hmm. etc and so they then understand oh okay so that's why i'm avoiding the conversations because actually conflict can be something very emotional for people and we are emotional beings obviously and so we don't want to feel all of those um stressful um negative Mm -hmm. emotions and then when we say to them okay so what about some of the good things that can come out of conflict? And they'll say, well, actually it clears the air. Having a conflict conversation mm. with someone that goes, well, it clears the air. The air. Um, it also um, makes us understand each other better. And when we understand colleagues better, um, then we work with them better and so that leads to stronger relationships it leads to better communication Mm -hmm. it leads to people being able to share ideas with each other um, safely without Mm -hmm. the fear of sounding um, stupid or, or out of touch but so that leads to creativity and growth within an organization and learning. and and diverse viewpoints and actually we Mm. want diverse viewpoints in the in the workplace and at the board level we don't want the group think that obviously otherwise ensues so conflict can also be about change and resolution and energy and Mm -hmm. it will happen it's normal and inevitable like i said at the beginning so conflict is a state and then we can depending how we address it we change the state of conflict. But I think that most of us, because of our fear of conflict, um, don't even want to touch it, don't want Mm. to have conversations and therefore Mm. often rely um, on HR, for example, to resolve issues for us. And that usually leads to, not always, but very often to formal process and and Mm. potentially... Uh, uh, legal claims, etc. And I think that sometimes maybe boards have a hard time asking for help because they, mm. uh, and this isn't just at board level, we see it a lot. Conflict also brings shame. So mm. people think, actually, I don't want to ask for help because that makes me sound like a failure. And that's very shaming when actually mm. we can all use some help when it comes to conflict.
1: Mm. So with that in mind, what are the three most important things that you would say to senior leaders about conflict?
0: Um, I think one of them is that we need to shift our conflict mindset. We Mm. need to see conflict as something that's potentially really positive. That's constructive that, um, can bring change and innovation and better relationships so that's the first thing Mm -hmm. i also think that senior leaders need help with conflict these Mm. skills do not come easily and they're not natural to most people Mm. so um, equipping them Um, with the skills and the confidence to have these difficult conversations at work um, is really important. So not to just assume, well, we've promoted someone, um, just because someone sits on the board doesn't mean they will have these skills. So I Mm -hmm. think um, that's another takeaway, the importance of um, um, learning and and training in the area. Mm -hmm. And then I guess the last one is just remembering the importance of relationships and that they will drive results. Performance is important, but how do we harness that? And I think that, and you spoke about this earlier, Rachel, around employee well-being, we Mm. also need to think about how are people doing how is their well-being because if their well-being is strong they will perform Mm -hmm. better they will enjoy their work they will want to stay at your organization and all of that um, will help Um, drive
1: results. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for your time today. It's been such an interesting conversation about conflict and how we view it, how we've not been given the skills really to to think about it positively or to manage it and how we can change that by changing our mindsets around conflict, creating that psychological safety that you talked about and how sometimes conflict can actually be a good thing. Like you said, avoiding groupthink, introducing more diverse viewpoints to make better decisions and be more inclusive. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you for your time today. It's been really interesting. Thank you, Rachel. Engage Governance. Look out for more podcasts coming soon. We would like to thank our sponsors and experts for supporting the launch of the Engage Governance podcast series. To access more podcasts and other useful governance tools, like our guidance notes, blogs and articles, please visit www.cgi.org.uk.